This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Let me ask you, Ralph, what was your entry point with the band The Gun Club? My entry point was a posting by a good friend of mine from New York called Mike Hill when he posted the song Sex Beat on his Facebook when he was still very active on Facebook. I don't know when that was, but it was a long time ago. It was uh, at the same time, around the same time, I discovered TSOL and the Revenge 3, which we talked about last time. So you actually uh, made me aware of the band Gun Club. Wow, that's cool, man. I, I, I didn't really know that. Yeah, now you know. <laughs> For me, um, way back when I think I was still in high school, um, I remember Henry Rollins writing about uh, the gun club in one of his journals or, you know, he used to put out those chapbooks like back then, which ended up getting collected into, uh, you know, soft cover editions through uh, 213. And I'm like the gun club. And I wrote down, I would write down all the names of these bands that he wrote about. So the gun club, the birthday party, the swans, you know, Neubauten. And uh, I figured they sounded like uh, interesting music to get into. And then, one day I was at Trash American Style, which is, uh, you know, that legendary record store um, in Danbury, Connecticut. And a couple episodes ago, we had Malcolm back on for his third appearance on this very, very podcast. And I came across Las Vegas story in like the used CD bin and I ended up buying it. And that was my entry point with the band. And ever since then, I've been a huge fan. And uh wow. For me, it was cool because I was really into bands like the, like X and the Cramps and Gun Club obviously fit right into that. It was, uh, I absolutely. I mean, that's the mold. They're also connected to a lot of these bands. And for me, like when I when I dug in, it was kind of like these these times back with the death metal CDs back then that you like when I still, like I didn't buy vinyl back then, but you buy a CD. For example, you buy a Legion of Deicide or Onward to Golgotha by uh, Incantation, and you open up the booklet, and they have these band shirts on, and they have the thanks list. And you're just like, as a small teenager, like you write down all the names and check out all these bands. And uh, Gun Club is like, I, I must have like heard of that band before, and I don't know why I didn't, but because I... Back then, I already loved the Cramps, and and I mean Patricia Morrison was in that band, and she has connections to so many bands that I love, and uh, yeah, and then and when when you when you posted that song, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly my kind of music that I want to hear. It's like it's like it's not punk, you know, like it's punkish in a way, but it's not punk, and it has these, these twangy guitars, and it's got this quirky voice and. Yeah, man. And then, like, I dug in, and it was thankfully the time when the internet it was prior to Spotify and all these things, but there was already a YouTube or like illegal download sites for music. 
and I don't know, like I got some MP3s, and for me the first thing was the Fire of Love LP, and then after that the Death Party EP, and to this day, like they are my go-to records of this band. Yeah, yeah that's um, I think that's called Soul Seek. Maybe that was the uh, one of the, one of the yes. illegal download sites, which I also downloaded a bunch of stuff from. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was good back then. Like, if you wanted to share like your music, but uh, of course, everybody used it for like ripping CDs and, and putting it online. So, like, it, it was cool to have. Like, you could. I mean, there was a ton of these obscure German hardcore bands in the '90s that all sounded like Dead Guy and these bands. You know, like, like the, they called it Chaos Core over here, and. Uh, so like pretty much everybody wanted to be converged, but kind of did something else. And uh, I I downloaded tons of this stuff there, or like uh, Screamo, and and like when Screamo was still Screamo, and um, I used Soulseek a whole lot. And actually, like funny funny side note, do you remember that band, The Minor Times, or just Minor Times? Yeah, we uh, we uh, Anodyne toured with them back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, they were called like one of these bands they called math and a chaos core, math core, whatever. And I remember reading something in a fanzine that they will release a new record called um, Summer of Wolves or something. And you could like in SoulSeek, you could enter um, search, search uh, like like uh, words that the, the engine automatically searches for you. And then it came up, Wolves in the Throne Room demo. And I'm like, wow, oh, okay, what's what's that? It's like, Wolves in the Throne Room sounds like a black metal band. And at that time, I wasn't really listening to a whole lot of black metal because it was pretty much dead to me at this point. And then I downloaded the demo of Wolves in the Throne Room, and I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then I like told a bunch of friends about it, and they were like, oh shit, this is cool. It's like, yeah, who's that? And I mean, we all know where Wolves in the Throne Room is now. So thanks, Soulseek, for that. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, that period of time, though, for me, it was weird. It was like in that, when I was in high school, I, uh, you know, I liked punk rock. I was into like, you know, Black Flag and all that stuff. But that kind of psychabilly, Americana, uh, blues, rockabilly stuff, that bands like X and the Cramps, that was what really me and all my friends were listening to. And my early bands were kind of in that vein, believe it or not. Dude, after and everybody listening, I saw pictures. I know it's true. I saw pictures <laughs> of a young Mike Hill, a, a handsome, sexy young motherfucker looking like he's all that in all these bands. Like he could have joined the Cramps or no, well, not the Cramps. Maybe I can't imagine this in leather. But um, <laughs> joining in like X or Gun Club or yeah, man, I I, I can see that. Yeah, and it's it, it must like must feel very. Like, I think it's pretty cool that you were around at the time when all the shit went down. Because for me, I was I'm ten years younger, and for me, it's like bands that are already gone when I uh, when I found them. Yeah. Oh, well, I can know a lot of that. There was a young lady that was in one of those photographs. Um, that I sent you and uh, she was actually probably, I thought I liked music, you know, at that time, but yeah. she loved music. Like she was like one of these people that uh, I would probably grow into would be like obsessive about, you know, every band and who's in the bands and what records they were on and, you know, the different offshoot bands. And so she also introduced me to like, you know, uh, Bauhaus and The Cure and stuff like that, too. Um, 
so the rockabilly thing also had this kind of like goth like dark vibe to it and at least through the lens that i was seeing it you know and 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 a lot of those bands were like you know kind of had that like warm you know eyeliner and stuff like that had this kind of like glammy goth vibe to them and um that's kind of how the gun club like jeffrey lee pierce like fits right into that whole like like profile really you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean he was obsessed with writing and i just like the the documentary that i sent you for everybody listening out there it's on youtube it's called ghost on the highway the story of jeffrey lee pierce it's really it's really well done it's it seems more like a diy documentary like not conducting the official one but it has like the old band members it has kick congo powers it has henry rollins in it and a bunch of others and they all talk about like henry rollins says like this kid was well read so like he was obsessed with books with borrows and all these bands now actually i gave that hard copy of that movie that documentary to somebody's many years ago goes down the highway as a christmas gift and uh so i remember finding it and then the person quickly told me that it was like a uh you know an unofficial sort of thing so and it kind of seems that way yet it's still good though it's still very comprehensive it still has interviews with a lot of the band members and i think it does a pretty good job of profiling the band especially like drawing a picture of the character and character in, in capital letters of Jeffrey D. Pierce, because this guy was something, man. I, I mean, I think like you and I, we both had people in bands that were not reliable or were moody or difficult, but <laughs> I mean, from watching this man, I don't like, I'm kudos to, to these people that, that made like the tour with them. But, I mean, yeah, he flew to a tour and the band just left him at the airport because they said, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so he must have been very difficult to work with. Yeah. yeah the funny part about the documentary is it opens up with um, uh, Ward Dodson and, and Terry Graham, which were a member, not, not actual original members of the band, but they were guys that were there early on. And they probably made my favorite records by the Gun Club, some of my favorite records with them. And... Uh, Right off the bat, they're saying all this negative stuff about him, which is like <laughs> kind of diametrically opposite of what you would think a documentary about a particular artist would be like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but it comes full circle in the end when they're like, as much as a, of an asshole or difficult he was, it was a special time to be in that band and seeing this like progress and being part of something that has become such a cult band and and I think that's that's what the Gun Club is. I mean, they they were in the in the shadows of bands like the Cramps or X and all these bands, you know. But they, I don't think that they're a big name here. If you if you talk to people and you ask, do you know the Cramps? A lot of people will say, of course I know the Cramps. But it, ask them about the Gun Club, and not a lot of people know that band. Yeah, they are very obscure for sure. Uh, I, you know, and and I think a lot of it. Uh, actually has to do with Pierce's family wanting to kind of keep a lot of the information out there sort of subverted because yeah. uh, Jeffrey Billy Pierce wrote a book called uh, Come Go Tell the Mountain, which I remember oh, um, yeah. throughout in the 90s, it was uh, being, you know, the Rollins' publishing company put it out, 213. And um, I was like, oh, I got to get this, right? And then 
it quickly went out of print because Pierce's family, uh, I guess, sent some sort of legal document saying that you can't you can't print this. Mm. And then years later, I, when I uh, when I was interviewing Keith Morris uh, for actually the the audio of that is way way back in the, on this podcast, and it actually became an article I wrote for Brooklyn Vegan. My interview with Keith Morris, mm. he was saying that yeah, his family didn't want people to. To know Jeffrey that way, and okay. so that's why the book—you have to buy it for like three hundred dollars on on eBay. Yes. Now. So yeah. yeah, it's kind of the same with the book uh, by Michael Girard. Like he also wrote one book, and it's like if you want—I I mean, the, I, I scored the German version. Is that Drain, uh, was, Drainland? Is that what it's called? No, Dra- Drainland is the, the 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 solo record. It's um the 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 it's something with I. Uh, let me just check. Uh, book the the consumer ninety. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually I I have both of these books actually. The consumer and go tell the mountain. So uh, yeah, I didn't realize so the consumer you... was was uh, was out of print. Dude, it's 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 hard to find and it's expensive if you find a copy. So if you uh, you have to both these books, like you're pretty much set set if there's a financial crisis again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I scored the German copy of the consumer, but I think don't think there's a German version, but which I also didn't want because I mean the consumer is a uh, is stories like you can read, but uh, go tell the mountain is lyrics. So like, I would love to have that. Well, mm. actually, go tell the mountain is lyrics and then anecdotes, you know, about oh, the songs, and there's a um, a sort of Bukowski esque. Uh, novella at the end of the book too. Oh man! Uh, original okay. writing, yeah. which probably is very autobiographical, similar to like Charles Bukowski or you know Henry Miller or that kind of thing. Mm. It's quite good. It really he's yeah. a, he was a great writer. I think that had he had he lived longer, he would have yeah. become a prolific writer. If he had, you know equal to his music, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's a, it's it's kind of like uh, when we go back to our episode about who's could do and the replacements. It's like with a lot of these bands that we talk about here, and there, I mean, there's a pattern, and we have more ideas about like bands or episodes in this vein. It's a lot of these bands start out with like people being shitty musicians who can barely play or like are self-taught to a certain degree, but they are so well read that the lyrics from the get-go are on a level that most people never reach in their whole life. And Pierce's lyrics just got better over the years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, just for the record, the band officially uh, formed in 1979, and there was a breakup in the middle of their career, but then disbanded in 1996. So they had a pretretty decent duration. But as you'll learn, there was a lot of ups and downs within that, uh, that whole duration of time. Yeah. And uh, it was formed by Jeffrey Lee Pierce and Brian Tristan, a.k.a. Kid Congo Powers. And uh, those are yeah. like the, the principal members of the band. And uh, they functioned as a, under another name, uh, the Creeping Ritual, which I thought it's an awesome name. It is. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> like uh, the Creeping Ritual. That's pretty awesome, man. And, uh, and Keith Morris, who was Jeffrey Lee Pierce's uh, roommate, actually suggested changing the name to the Gun Club. Which is also a fucking cool name. That is a great name, yeah. 
Uh, the original lineup was Powers, uh, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, Don Snowden on bass, and Dunning, and uh, Brad Dunning on drums. And uh, that's probably the the lineup that was the rip, you know, the creeping ritual. And you know, probably I, my my impression because it was night, you know, it was this late seventies L.A. punk. No one probably knew how to play their instruments, and they kind of hinted that in the documentary when they were talking about early shows, like just noise chaos that kind of thing yeah well it's also so crazy to think about like that kid congo powers couldn't even play an instrument and pierce met him and they sympathized and they were like on the same page and he's like i want to have like i want to start this band and i want you to play guitar and kid congo was like i don't know how to play guitar <laughs> and then he gave he gave him one of his two guitars and made an open tuning to an e sharp so he could just like lay one hand on top of the of the frets, so you have a complete chord. That's how they wrote the first songs, which also makes sense later on, including the the pick slide and uh, the bottlenecks. So because with the open tunings, and you can hear that it's like in the beginning, if you have this tuning, the songs are not that difficult to play. But again, with a lot of the punk stuff in the beginning, it's it's genius in the way it's so simple and so effective. Yeah. And there's, I love the can-do ad- attitude of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's yes. just like, okay, we don't know how to play our instruments, so let's figure out a way to make this happen. Oh, yeah, I just <laughs> read that you can tune everything to an open chord and just go for it. Yeah. This is probably one of the most punk things to do, but do you, do you want to hear the most punk thing I've ever seen? Like as a side note, today's maybe the episode for side notes. <laughs> Go ahead. What what is it? So you remember Jutz Mannheim, right? Where you and I met. Yeah. Yes. So this 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 venue you played in the basement. No, you you know, you just you played in the basement, and the basement had a, like a rehearsal space, an open rehearsal space. So for the American listeners, you, this is like an anti-fascist open youth center, which is not funded by the state, so it's run by some kids. It's more like a squat but an organized, very clean spot, and they do, like, youth work and shit. It's still around, still a fantastic place, and they have, like, an open rehearsal space. So a lot of the Mannheim bands, like, for example, Planks, My Old Band, or Fierce the Path to the Dark Side, Stack, My Own Lies, all these bands rehearse in the space. We had our own gear there, but there was some gear for everybody to use, so people could just say, like, I want to book the space for two hours on a Wednesday, and we want to jam. And at one of the punk shows, I remember doing the bar and it was like one of these shows where there was more beer on the floor than there was at the bar. Um, there were like these four punk kids, like they were always hung around at the youths and um, none of them could play an instrument. Um, they, they decided that evening to start a band. And, but the first thing they did was to take uh, to uh, make a lottery of who plays which instrument. So they <laughs> wrote down bass, guitar, drums, vocals, put it in a hat. Everybody knew what to do. None of them could do it. Then the next thing they did was give themselves nicknames. So the one was puke, like all, all in German, but one was puke. The other was snot. And one the singer was captain, I think. Then they, they, they settled for a name, which was Kommando Vollsaufen, which is command get wasted. They had a band shirt before they had music, which was the Black Fleck logo with empty beer bottles. <laughs> <laughs> and then they started going to rehearsal room and just like jam it out for a weekend. And then they recorded their demo tape. This is all within two weeks time. 
they decided to play two shows. One was the first show, one was the last show. And for the last show, they just carried gazillion bottles of beer in the venue, and it was just like a beer party. And I remember that the drummer who, like, he, like I was watching from side stage because I didn't want to get drowned in beer. And he, uh, like, he had a set list, and it didn't have any names on it. It just said one, one, two, one, one. Next song, two, two, one, one, two, two. And it was like, what the fuck is this? And it's just afterwards, he was like, he was the most sober of these people. And I'm like, dude, so what was that set list? It's like, oh, yeah, man, I just can't play two beats. One is like, the second one is. So he had like, <laughs> he didn't know the songs. He just knew he had to change when the guitar changes. He had to change the drum beats. That's the most punk thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I admire that. Uh I, I don't think I've ever approached music that way before, but but I um, <laughs> I, ad, I admire that uh, you know the can do uh, sort of punk attitude. Yeah, uh, definitely. And when we and when we come to Kid Congo, I mean, like we have to thank Jeffrey Lee Pierce for this because look at the reputation this guy has now. He played in in the Gun Club, in the Cramps. He played with Nick Cave. He played in Angels of Light and The Hout, and now he has this. Uh, Kid Congo Powers and the Pink Baboons? I don't, Something no. like that. He's got a ton of these different bands that he does and he yeah. travels around. And I think I told this before we started, but I met him uh, down oh, in man, Philadelphia. Yeah. We um, Tombs was playing a show in Philly and there was it was at Kung Fu Necktie and uh, there was um, a late show, which was uh, us, and then an early early evening show, which ended up being Kid Congo. So we, oh, we rolled up for, for load in like, you know, four, four in the afternoon or whatever. And, and, um, I'm like, I just figured it was like some hipster, like, you know, like Philly band <laughs> that, that was, you know, some bullshit that was going on in the early, <laughs> early in the, in the, in the day. And I was like, then I see this guy walk out and I'm like, that looks like Kid Congo, man. And it turned out that that's who it was. So I talked to him for a while, really cool. And I just. You know, he he's like one of one of those guys where I just was like very taken taken aback by the whole experience because like I normally don't go up to people and introduce myself and like oh hey man I love you know but yeah. maybe because like the Gun Club is one of those formative bands for me and he was like one of the principal members of the band I was like yeah. I had to talk to him you know he's I was glad that he was cool too you know. He seems like such a nice guy. And, there, you know, there's just these people that when they talk, they have such a charisma around them, the way they talk, the way they behave, and just when they talk, um, that they're so captivating. And I think Kid Congo is one of these people. So it's like I keep going back to watching. There's a video of uh, like these Amoeba videos, What's in My Bag, Yeah, about him like in, at Amoeba like in this in this gimp looking leather jacket with a leather hat on <laughs> and it's it's just so fucking cool and like in this documentary too like just the way he talks i could listen to him talk forever and he just seems like he's enjoying life and like when he talks about i mean the gun club is a story of drugs as well and he's like oh we were young and uh so he i think he know that he's like jumped death for a couple of times with when it comes to drugs and all this shit and he's just happy to be alive and to be still doing music and doing what he does. Yeah, he's he was cool, man. Yeah. yeah. But but the actual lineup kind of kicked off, I think, 
when um when Terry Graham and uh and Rob the rhythm section of Terry Graham and Rob Ritter joined the band. And that's uh they were in the bags. Yeah. Which uh another legendary band from LA from around that yeah. time. And um yeah, that was like the that was like they had a, a legit rhythm section so so kid and Jeff can like explore their flights of uh punk rock guitar playing <laughs> so that at least yeah. there was like a a strong backbeat within the band at this point. And that that's that's it. I think the the Gun Club, especially the first three records, if you have Fire of Love, Miami and Las Vegas Story and the EPs, they're really like they have a great rhythm section which makes all of the music possible. And it's just like it's got such a cool I mean, they have a song called Sex Beat and I think their music, the whole music, all these records are pretty much sex songs in a way because it's just so driving and pounding and being so cool with it. I don't know. It's, is it okay to call it sexy music? I don't know. But sure. it's just, it just pretty is, sexy. In a way. Yeah. It yeah. is pretty sexy, definitely. Yeah. Oh, real quick about what I found to be very interesting is that Jeffrey Lee Pierce and uh, and Kid Congo were uh, were presidents of two different fan clubs. Pierce, yes. Pierce yeah. was the president of the Deborah Harry of Blondie, the West Coast chapter of the <laughs> Deborah Harry uh, fan club. And uh, Kid Congo was also the president of the Ramones fan, fan club, the West Coast yeah. chapter. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Man, time of fan clubs. I don't know. Is there, is there something like this anymore? Uh, you know what? I don't I don't know. Um you know, I, I don't, I, I don't belong to any fan clubs, but maybe they're out there. You know, oh, I mean, remember like street teams and fan clubs, and like people like doing DIY fanzines about their favorite bands, which they distributed then in their fan club. I mean, today, I don't know, man. My kids in my school, everything is about BTS, this this Korean boy band. Like all all the kids are into that or listening to hip hop. But nowadays with, I mean, you have Facebook, so you have mail outs and maybe there's, oh yeah, there are Facebook groups dedicated to some bands. I actually like, I'm a member of the Roland S. Howard Club and, and shit like this. So it's kind of like this nowadays, but it's just digitally. Back then, I guess people just met up like in their Ramones gear and <laughs> sat down listening to Ramones and talking about the Ramones, which is fine by me. I would do that. That sounds like fun, man. I, I actually, yeah. you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that, like <clears throat> how how cool it would be to have a um, like some kind of Tuesday night get together with people and talk about like I don't know, like the Gun Club or black metal yes. or you know weird fiction or something, you know. Pretty much what you're doing with your podcast, just like with a regular crowd and like hanging out with like people and talking about this. I would I would join that club. Yeah, no, I guess I guess you're right about that. You know, yeah. a couple a couple of things about uh, Pierce. Uh, Pierce grew up in El Monte, which is like the uh, in California, which is uh, also uh, the 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 town where the Black Dahlia murder happened. Uh, just a little quick aside about that. Uh, very close to where um, where Kid grew up too, and there was a, a Chicano influence on Pierce. Uh, he often claimed that he was uh, Mexican, which. Uh, I don't know if he was or not. You know, maybe someone out there I think, back that up. I think they, they talk about him being like maybe a fourth. I don't know, like 
both his parents had like two different nationalities of like their grandparents. And I think like to some extent, to like a real small extent, there's Mexican in him. There's a lot of a really cool imagery though. Like I've always um, admired the imagery and the sort of, uh, you know, like the, the that sort of Chicano, yeah, like, you know, Day of the Dead, uh, this like pagan, like Catholic trip that they have that also a lot of the artwork and just the vibe that Jeffrey Lee Pierce had was definitely yeah. from like that particular cultural you know background it was like infused yes. infused with like South American culture which I thought was really cool yeah and I also think you hear it in the music itself I think in his guitar playing I mean they always had like Telecasters or like Gretsch guitars just like clean amps bit of reverb twangly jangle guitars and uh that's that's something that uh like i don't know do you know that that black metal band volhan i don't okay they're um they're from from uh from the west coast and there's this uh this uh it's a group of people again that have like like ancestral bands and volhan is like the main guy and they they always um they go back to oh man i don't want to mess this up now like it's uh uh, Aztecs, no, uh, Mayan, Mayan. I think Mayan history or something, and um, they incorporate like they they they're a really good band, and they play like single single coil Telecaster guitars. Oh wow! They have like it. It sounds pretty much like Ennio Morricone goes black metal in a way. Interesting. And uh, yeah, do you know? I, I mean, of course you know, but you know the song uh, "Don't Fear the Reaper" by Blue Oyster Cult. One of my favorites, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So the middle part when they break down and then goes and they start back in with the drums and has this offbeat. That's pretty much how they sound, just like with blast beats sometimes. Damn. Okay, I got to check these guys yeah. out for sure. Now I'll, I will send you a link later on. They're they're fucking awesome. Yeah, and they have like I think that's also the same thing. Like they've got like this this heritage and the, the sound is almost Chicano look, Chicano sound, and. Uh, yeah, that's that's in 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 Gun Club as well, and also in the songs themselves, I think. Yeah, you know it's kind of funny. Um, his obsession with Deborah Harry is is very very much uh, brought to light in this documentary. And when yeah. I, now that I look at when I look at pictures of Jeffrey Lee Pierce with his bleach blonde hair, <laughs> yeah. he, it's like he's trying to look like Deborah Harry. And they, yeah. they comment on that and also his his like infatuation with Marlon Brando too. Yeah. Which is, it's funny because he kind of looks like if you melded together Marlon Brando and Deborah <laughs> Harry, it yeah. would look like Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Especially like at the end end part of his life when he was already like, like when he was super chubby and had dark hair, he really looked like Marlon Brando and on like behind the scenes of uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> There's a, on the documentary. There's a there's these two ladies that uh, were friends of his were that were growing yeah. up, and they kind of give you an insight to some of his lyrics, and um, and they they profile him as being this guy who was very unlucky in love, and uh, yeah. which at, later on in his life led to some you know serious problems with with uh, with women, you know, but. Uh, one, he was also described as your gay best friend that's actually straight. Yeah. 
So I hope that I never, ever, ever get called that by somebody, to be honest. I mean, obviously no problem, nothing with, no, nothing against gay people, but I, would, I, as a straight male, would rather not be referred to as someone's gay best friend because that no. means that guy is not a threat on like a sexual level, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's also what 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 made him like uh, sad and and miserable for some time. And then when he had this one like I one of the girls that he like he that played, oh man, I I didn't didn't write this down. Like there was this girl joining joining the Gum Club at some point, and he she was in another cool band before that. And it's not it's not Patricia Morrison. And they were dating for a while, but then she left the band and him for the drummer in this other band. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Tex Texicali from from uh, Texica Texicali Jones from Tex and the Horseheads. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that was a band that he sort of tried to bring along. You know what I mean? To try yeah. to pump her up and you know and and develop her. You know what I mean? Yes. And then she bails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's this this his whole life is just like he's so driven. With when it comes to music, but he's like running against wall after wall and like stumbling through life. And yeah, I never, never got what he like. I think he wanted to be a star and he, he acted like a star. It kind of, it, it already reminds me of like Andy of a Mother Love Bone when you look at the documentaries. Like he's, he behaved like he is already a big star, which he isn't. And Later on, like the music got so famous that he could have been a star, but he never was in his lifetime. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, that's kind of the tragedy is that like standing up here from this bird's eye view on this dude's life and the trajectory of the band, it's like you almost imagine like, okay, man, maybe if you chilled out on the drugs for a while and, yeah. you know, and stop being such an egomaniac, you might actually get some success, which... You know, despite all this, the band actually was kind of successful in certain places. Like they were particularly successful in Europe, in France yeah. specifically. Yeah, same, same for the replacements. I mean, who's good to? They pretty much they owned their game and they they had their reputation. But the replacements were always under the radar. I mean, they were successful and they had a cult following. But when they came to Europe, it was a different picture. And again, it's. Uh, with with Jeffrey Pierce and comparing to the replacements, I mean, both bands don't really sound alike, but they were both so self-destructive and should maybe should have shouldn't have done so many drugs and alcohol. But on the other side, maybe mu the music wouldn't have been what it is now. And um, yeah, it's just sad because I think and don't know like what your take on this is, but. In that time in the 2000s, when this indie indie wave happened around the Strokes and all these bands, do you think like if the Gun Club would have come out with Las Vegas Story at that time, they would have been bigger? Because I think the Strokes must have been fans of uh, of the Gun Club. Yeah, I mean, the the Gun Club d d completely decimates anything that the Strokes ever could have possibly done yeah. you know quality yeah. wise um i think that they could have however the reality is i don't know if the people the fans of the strokes would have got what the gun club was trying to do really you know yeah but it's just like i feel like the quality of the songwriting for these records and the lyrics 
it must like it, it should have it should have been like at a different time they should have been big but they were at the wrong time at the wrong place but then again as you say the strokes function because they are so interchangeable because i they never did anything for me and yeah. i never never thought they were cool never liked their songs and like then there's the band that like sound like from the basic sound itself like from the guitars and the way it's played kind of the same but have great songs great lyrics and are just an overall amazing band i think people like they should have seen this and said like oh wow so this is the real deal but like it wasn't destined to happen what what comes you know since we're talking about relative success i think that what comes to mind for me is x and their success yes you know because they were both you know both similar that they they mined that americana uh rockabilly punk I guess I hate that term, but someone referred to it as cowpunk, which I think is a fucking stupid name. Yeah. But uh, that's kind of what people would refer to them as. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, X became very successful. You know, to this day, they still tour, you know, and they play, you know, these songs that are like 30 plus years old. But like, you know, they're, they're uh, a well-established band. John Doe has all his solo career going. And, you know, Exine is like a right-wing, uh, you know, zealot, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> but I, I imagine Jeffrey Lee Pierce had his life taken a different turn, could have turned the gun club into something like that, where, you know, they were successful, they were doing big tours, you know, they would go out on, you know, and support bands like whatever, like REM or something like that could have taken the, the gun club yeah. out, um, you know, keep moving forward. Pierce would have had some solo records movie soundtracks, you know, yeah. like they're, they're, they could have had a song in Paris, Texas or something like that. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, like that yeah. would have, in an ideal world, that would have been that dude's life, except that he just, you know, got, fell in love with the rock and roll lifestyle and, um, you know, wanted to be fucking Keith Richards, I guess, or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, at, le- at least he made it 10 years longer than most of the, of the, 27 suicide club people so like he, he got 37 but still i mean seeing it now i just turned 42 and i'm like dude man like he was way younger than i was and he released all this amazing music and i mean i released a bunch of music but i don't look back at like some of the stuff as being actually good or like sure. interesting but like this like listen to fire of love man it's from 81 and it's it holds up it's so good yeah it's a good thing he had that rhythm section on that record though honestly of course yes 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 yeah. oh, what's also interesting to mention too is that kid congo wasn't on actually any of the records until the very until the, towards <laughs> yeah. the end towards the end yeah. of the band's career yeah and uh i mean it, it's it's so crazy like i said before look at what what kid congo did and the like what other bands he had and also patricia morrison like sisters of mercy and he was she was in the damned also coming from the bags and like all these people that played with him went on to have these bands actually recording music with them and leaving like this big ass mark in musical history and jeffrey pierce just did his one thing and uh, he stuck to it and i i, I appreciate this uh, because he believed in what he did the, the solo stuff and then um yeah it just never came to fruition so like this poor bastard he gave it his all and yeah like you said 
if he wouldn't have done so many drugs and destroyed himself, who knows what could have happened. So. Yeah. What's also interesting to uh, to note is that, um, you know, Jeff was also very in touch with, with Blondie, you know, as as uh, yes. the band Blondie and specifically Deborah Harry as, a, you know, a uh, president of their fan club. And that actually bore fruit because Chris Stein of Blondie put out some of their records. Like Miami yeah. was on uh, Stein's, uh, you know, Animal Records. And mm-hmm. he also produced a lot of their stuff too. And Deborah Harry actually sang backups on some of it. Which, like, must be the coolest feeling. Like, I, I remember when, when my old, old, old band, Repugnant, played a show and we covered Integrity and we hung out with DeWitt before and, and he, he said he would come on stage and sing a song with us. Oh, wow. For us, that was like, that was like, oh my God. Like, I'm, I, I, there was the brief phase where I played drums for that band. So I was pretty much sitting in the club where I saw Integrity play a lot of times and like spent most of my youth watching bands. Now I'm sitting on stage playing drums of all instruments and there's fucking Dwid in front of me singing uh, Psy Warfare. I'm like, this is surreal. So imagine what it must have been for him like to meet. I mean, the story of him like sneaking up on, on Blondie in the hotel and talking to her and she being cool about it to like daring to do that. And then like imagine she agrees to sing on one of your songs. That must be so cool. Totally, man. And and uh, what are your thoughts on Blondie as a band? Are you into them? Um, I'm I I I back them, but I'm not like a big fan. They've they've got great songs. I appreciate their their influence in the time of the CBGBs and like bringing the pop into the CBGBs and this whole circuit of bands. They were always in, like full of integrity, and I think they're an interesting band. But I, I, I think I own two records on vinyl, which I got from a secondhand bin. Maybe I should fuck more with them. Um, Hanging by the telephone is probably one of the all-time best pop punk songs. Yeah, but I don't know. You're you're a fan of them? I think uh, this is where the age difference probably comes in because I, I was of that age, um, you know, yeah. like. You know, like 14 or whatever and uh yeah. there was usa uh night flight which was like uh mm-hmm. actually you can download an app now for your smart tv which plays all the old shit which is actually i highly recommend it if you find what we're talking about interesting at all check it mm-hmm. out on uh you know the app it's cheap it's like 25 dollars a year too so it's like a very inexpensive form of entertainment <clears throat> so i would watch this all the time and um that's why my, 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 the first inclination of me even attempting to play music was from watching a live Go-Go's video where I'm mm-hmm. like, I, oh, fuck, I could play this shit. You know, I wanted to play bass originally. Mm-hmm. But those early videos of Blondie and Deborah Harry in particular were like very, very uh, influential on me enjoying new wave music and to me everything was like one thing back then it was like new wave punk was all kind of the same yeah. you know so yeah like I, i've always been a huge fan of deborah harry and blondie and like all that stuff yeah, cool so you should maybe at some point later you know you should uh give me like or write me a mail about like which records i should like really go go into details sure. with oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah. yeah cool they did dip into this kind of disco thing, which I wasn't a big fan of. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's all. That's why why I always like I, I remember like the early stuff being like rock and more punk. And when he also I mean, there were also friends with Talking Heads and all these bands. But yeah, then like the 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 most stuff that you really know, which played on the radio is like their more disco ish stuff, which I'm also not a big fan of. And they they I mean, they had their name, but they had this one big hit in 98, Maria. And I remember that this was playing on the radio constantly. And like all the radio stations were like, oh, yeah, that's a new song by this band Blondie. And they were they were big in, in the 70s, obviously, but I've never heard of them. It was like, yeah, thanks, German radio. Yeah. <laughs> also, she was in um, Videodrome, Deborah Harry. She, uh, oh, yeah, right. With, with dark, yeah, yeah. dark hair. That's that was like I was like wow man she looks even better with dark hair. Yeah, she she's she was a very pretty girl. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say are are your in my opinion I'm going to I'm going to make my statement first. Okay. The first era of the band because they broke up for a while too and then yeah. it reformed. Those are actually probably the the better records in my opinion. Absolutely, hundred percent agreed. I, I think by now I have all their records on vinyl, at least like what I what I could get my hands on. I think I have most of it. Have like two or three live bootlegs, and for me it's it's 83's Fire of Love, 82's Miami, 84's Las Vegas Story, and the Death Party EP from '83. This is my 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 go to stuff. I appreciate the later stuff, but it's more like singer-songwriter, more con- not country, but like the classical Americana. Like it. It's cool. Great lyrics. Great vocals again. But the first three records on the EP, that's like that's the stuff that I need. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm glad they they were, you know reformed and everything, and I'm glad that they were able to get more you know more records out by them but but yeah those those first few records are really uh pretty pretty awesome so if anyone out yeah. there wants to who's not familiar with the band and they want to jump into this thing i i would i would hit those records first you know oh man it would be really cool if there would have been a playlist on Sp- spotify accompanying this podcast so people could check out the well, game club that's what's i don't know if you've been paying attention but lately i've been posting spotify playlists so you and i are going to after this episode, we're going to put together our, our list, and it will be in the show notes. For those of you who go to the website, it'll be in the show notes. If you want to go to the everythingwentblackmedia.com um, and click on this episode, there'll be an accompanying playlist. So there you go. Awesome. That's, that's, that's genuine interactive uh, audience keeping. Yeah, yeah people, uh, please, please uh, follow, follow the 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 podcast there and yeah also like let us know if you dig the playlists which songs are your favorites and we would love to like have interaction with you yeah so do you have a, a list of favorite songs I, I certainly do i mean these oh, are probably dude, these yeah. are all be on the playlist for you guys to listen to so what, what's your uh what's your list all right um favorite song of all time the house on highland avenue First track of the Death Party EP, backed by The Lie. So these two songs are awesome. Fire Spirit. Uh, let's let's go record by record. So Fire of Love. I well, Sex Beat. Of course, the hit. She's like heroin to me. 
and it has Fire Spirit and Ghost on the Highway, which is also one of my favorite tracks. So these are the ones of Fire of Love. Miami, I would go Carry Home, uh, Texas Serenade, The Fire of Love, the song, which is not on Fire of Love, but on Miami, at Mother of Earth. Uh, Las Vegas Story, Eternally is Here, and I Love the Stranger is in Our Town, and Give Up the Sun. Yeah, that would be my my choosing. Wow. It's mostly the same for me. <laughs> it's like <clears throat> the song Las Vegas Story is pretty awesome too, man. Yes. Uh, you know, Eternally is here. Is like That was the one that really put the hooks in me when I bought the record because, like I said, it was like the first thing I ever got by Gun Club was like I blind bought the only record that they had in the store, which was Las Vegas Story. And the, the first track, I was like, all right, cool. I, you know, I dig this, you know, Las Vegas story. But the, then Eternally is here, just like grabbed, grabbed me. And I was like, this is like, I listened to that song more probably than any of the other tracks on that record, you know? Yeah. Um, I also dig uh, Moonlight Motel off of that album too. Awesome. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, let's see. Ghost on the Highway, I got that. Black Train. Uh, Fire Spirit off of Fire of Love, I think is great. Um, <clears throat> the Lie off of the Death Party yeah. EP. Oh man, it's that e- that EP song. is pretty pretty awesome. And apparently they wrote that whole thing in the studio. Oh man, yeah. It's 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 always when I because you you can sorry for interrupting, but like you can you can still get this fairly easy. Like some of the records you have to track down like secondhand or something. But the Death Party EP is like I saw it in a lot of uh, distros and and, ven- and like stores still. And I just recently like when I went record shopping with Chris of Ulfa, and we were like browsing through our like favorite record store, and it's like they had the Death Party EP for like ten bucks. I'm like, dude, okay, you don't know that band, you love the- you love this kind of music, buy this one, you will not regret it. And he was afterwards he was like, okay, now I need to get all the rest. So the Death Party might be like a good introduction. Um, yeah, and uh, I have something from one of the later records too. I have the Breaking Hands off of Mother June. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good song. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, that dude from uh, from the Cocteau Twins produced that record. That might be the case. Yeah, I know there there is a there is a connection to this, and I think you're right. Yeah, Robin Guthrie. That's the dude's name. I couldn't remember it right off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, I probably should have wrote that down, but <laughs> I did not. Dude, we write so much stuff down, and I think we're always pretty pretty accurate with the details. So this is like this one we can let slide. You probably heard me talk about uh, vintage vinyl, which uh, was like a incredible record store down here in New Jersey, and yeah. uh, this is funny because for for like decades I've been driving to this place, even even before I, even when I lived in Boston. For those few years I lived in Boston, whenever we would go down to Philadelphia to play shows, we would always build in like an extra bit of time in our in our uh, traveling time to stop in at uh, at uh, you know that's the record store and spend like a half an hour there, forty minutes, and then continue. And um, what one of, one of the criteria for me selecting the town that I live in was that it was close to vintage vinyl. And <laughs> this past July, it closed. <laughs> So <laughs> it just, it, it was always one of these, I, I thought these eternal monuments that would just be there forever, 
you know and yeah. uh yeah, yeah now it's gone so i have but fortunately there's i've discovered some other stores in the area that i haven't visited yet but people have re- referred to me that uh i need to go and check out and you know drop some cash on some records and things yeah but the cool thing about vintage vinyl was that it kind of had every type of thing you can imagine there it's like if you're into extreme music and metal they had that they had like a a black metal like end cap they had indie rock they had hip-hop they had used used records new records t-shirts magazines uh you know punk rock hardcore everything was there and uh you know they had i remember when it when it closed they were running a massive sale but by the time i got there everything was like was gone by the time i showed up Mm. yeah yeah there's there's the store in Mannheim called comeback and um it's pretty much the same like from it just also had dvds and blu-rays um and uh the cool thing about this store was that they had new stuff and secondhand stuff which is not the case mostly you have like in heidelberg where where you and i like where you hung out at my place which is close to Mannheim. for those out there who don't know that like heidelberg is a very picturesque town which didn't get destroyed in the second world war it's like a lot of students live there a big university but it's kind of boring so it's it's nice to live there but it's there's not a lot happening they've just got like like smaller secondhand record stores mostly focused on jazz or or like pop music Mannheim is like 20 minutes by train away from there and it's more a suburban industry oriented town because there's the BASF like this old company that started like they invented video like they they produced the video cassettes and tapes and sh- shit like this and uh so it's more gritty more dirty but there's more going on like a lot of underground stuff and they've got this cool record store and i think it's still around called comeback and uh so if you're like from germany you probably heard of that and now here in cologne there's the underdog record store where i always go to and this is also fantastic fantastic it's only new vinyl but therefore a fantastic selection of stuff so whenever you'll come here mike i'll definitely go hang out there with you to grab some records you know it's really funny i i put this all in a, in a big cup that i have i'm looking at it right now as i found all this all these euros <laughs> like an envelope <laughs> so I, i'm gonna take that it's gonna be my fund man i got about maybe 70 euros in cash That's, and miscellaneous yeah. denominations which i imagine there were things that were left over from all the tw- times i've toured over there you know you come back yeah. and you got like a couple of euros but you, and it's not enough really to to exchange so yes. i would just put them in and put it in an envelope and just oh yeah next time i go i'll grab this as like walk around money and now it's right. close to 70 80 euros i have <laughs> so <laughs> okay. yeah it's gonna be my fund man perfect we'll spend it at underdark records looking forward to that <laughs> <laughs> totally man well thanks for listening everybody and i hope this was uh, an informative exploration into the past featuring the gun club and the work of jeffrey lee pierce
I'm a thousand miles to 